When it's cold outside, thanks to Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin, you'll be warm and toasty inside. Right now, put no money down, no payments, and no interest for up to two years at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Visit PellaWI.com today. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the WTMJ Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. First and foremost, a special thank you to the hundreds and hundreds of people who showed up last night at the Fister Hotel Ballroom for our holiday radio show. Um, it, it was, I think, extremely well received. I've been, this is the sixth year, I believe, that we've done this show. And I think that for the people who had attended multiple shows, the general sense was this last night's was one of the best, if not the best. So uh, we had a great time. We raised a whole bunch of money for Capco Kids to Kids Christmas. If you were not able to attend the show, well, no worries. We're going to be rebroadcasting the show on multiple uh, occasions over the course of the next couple weeks. I, I've got the schedule somewhere, but once we get closer, we'll give that to you. But it was our version and our take on a Christmas tale where the the young boy wants to wants to get a bow and arrow for Christmas, and of course, the concern is that he's going to shoot his toe off. I was the uh, I was the narrator, and we actually we had a, a very 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 good time. Like I say, I think everybody enjoyed it, and once again, thanks to everybody for coming out. We do this as an annual tradition, and we appreciate you participating. And we we have a lot of fun doing it. But the the big purpose is to try to raise money and call attention to Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas program, which has been going on for like sixteen or seventeen years. Actually, um, I know coming up in a week or two, we're going to be doing a couple live toy drive events i know that um i think a couple in a couple weeks i'm going to be out at the century store in delafield helping to collect toys so we are looking forward to that as well all right let us get started now after the elections there's this impetus going on for people who are saying all right we we need to figure out a way for republicans democrats to cooperate democrats to cooperate We, we need to figure out things that tony evers as the governor he's going to be the governor for the next four years and the republicans who overwhelmingly control the state legislature we need to figure out things that they can agree on so we can start getting something done and i'm i'm 100 percent before that here's part of the problem some of the stuff is difficult I think, for example, on the abortion issue, we need to figure out some sort of middle ground. But that's going to be hard. So some of these issues I appreciate are hard. But some of the issues are, in my opinion, easy. For example, why in God's green earth is somebody like this not in prison? Yes, in in prison. Let me tell you the story of a guy named LaShawn Thomas. He is a Milwaukee resident who, since 2017, has accumulated 37 traffic-related citations. 37. All right? So here's the deal. Um, He's 26 years old. In 2022 alone, he's been given 13 citations. 13 citations this year alone. That includes three speeding tickets. Each of the speeding tickets have been for more than 23 miles an hour over the limit. So this isn't just some poor, unlucky so-and-so who you know gets caught in a speed trap and gets nailed for going six miles an hour over the speed limit, doing 41 and a 35. No, three of these speeding tickets 
have been for more than 23 miles an hour over the speed limit. He's also been cited twice for child seatbelt violations. Oh, he also doesn't have a valid driver's license, no surprise. And, of course, he has no insurance. So if and when he smacks into you, look out, because he's got nothing. He doesn't have a pot to you-know-what in. So, you know, you're going to be on, on the hook for this. Let me give you a couple examples of some of the things that he has been caught doing as part of these citations. Um, Multiple times, he has been pulled over for doing what they call the Milwaukee Slide, where he illegally passes other vehicles driving in the parking lane or the bike lane. On July 4th of 2021, he was cited for driving 53 miles an hour over the speed limit of 35 near 8100 West Appleton Avenue. The next day, his vehicle was engaged in a high-speed chase. The vehicle was observed by MPD moving into oncoming traffic to uh, pass another vehicle on Garfield. When officers tried to chase, it was driven more than 60 miles an hour down residential side streets. Okay, so you get the idea. In July, he was pulled over while doing 28 miles an hour over the speed limit. He had two children, ages 7 and 3, in the vehicle that were not properly secured. Okay, so you listen to this description of stuff, and you say, huh, this guy is a menace. And the fact that he is a menace, we need to do something to get him off the street. And you might be asking yourself a question, well, how, how can you accumulate this many tickets? How can you lead the cops on high-speed chases? How can you drive 60 miles an hour down residential streets? How can you repeatedly do the Milwaukee slide and still be out on the street driving? And the reason is because reckless driving in the state of Wisconsin is not criminal unless the police can prove that it interferes with another driver or pedestrian. Speeding isn't enough to get somebody arrested per se. By arrested, I mean you know, taken away in handcuffs. So this character has been able to be on the streets, 37 citations, clearly presenting a hazard. And unless and until he hits somebody, kills somebody, whatever, they're, they're not going to charge him criminally. Now, I bring up this story because at the request of the Milwaukee police chief, who I was with last night, Jeff Norman, does a, I think he's, he's really, I think he does a very, very good job. What they're asking the city attorney to do is go into court, have this, decla- this guy declared to be a public nuisance, and get a restraining order essentially saying, okay, don't drive poorly anymore. And then their hope is, well, gee, if... If and when he does this again, then maybe we can get him into court, we can get him held in contempt, and then maybe we can start to do something. My point is this. If you want to find a starting point for the governor and the state legislature, I would argue that this is that case. You shouldn't have the city of Milwaukee have to go through all this rigmarole, oh, we're going to have him declared a nuisance, and then we're going to get a restraining order, and then if he violates that order, we're going to find him in contempt, and then we'll have other hearings about what he does. I'm sorry, after, I don't know, the fifth or sixth speeding at 20 miles an hour over the limit, or the first let's lead the cops on a high-speed chase, or the second or third driving without insurance and driving without a license, at that point in time, this should be a crime. Boom, you should pull him over, 
You should call up the tow truck. You should haul away the car. You should put the handcuffs on him, and you should take him to court. And once he gets to court and he gets convicted of doing this stuff, you should send him off to prison. We need to treat this seriously instead of simply allowing people to do this over and over and over again because they don't give a rat's rump about any of the rest of us that are on the street. They don't give a rat's rump about the requirements and the rules of law. We shouldn't have to wait till somebody dies before you haul this guy off in chains and handcuffs. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. All right. The fact that this is not criminal, to me, that in and of itself is criminal. Don't we need, if they say that we need new laws, maybe this is somewhere where we can all start. Wouldn't we agree that way before he accumulated 37 citations in the last five years, he should have been taken off the streets and put behind bars? 855-616-1620. That's at least what I think. What do you think we discuss in just a moment? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. See, here's what's aggravating to me about the, these stories, and and I appreciate what the Milwaukee Police Department is doing. They're saying, okay, we want to work with the city attorney's office, and and we want to get these these restraining orders that are put against these reckless drivers, and then when they drive again, we want to have the ability to tow their cars, and we want to have the ability to have them found in contempt of court, and maybe that means that you know they, they can be they put in jail. I, I appreciate all that. I appreciate what the police chief is trying to do. My point is, what the hell is going on? I mean, seriously, you you shouldn't have to jump through these hoops. You've got this guy, 37 traffic-related citations, including multiple instances of driving more than 20 miles an hour over the speed limit. He doesn't have a driver's license. He doesn't have any insurance, of course. They've got all these instances of where he's, like, driving and passing people in the bike lanes, uh, running through red lights, leading the cops on high-speed chases. Well, you, you shouldn't have to jump through these hoops, should you? Shouldn't this be an easy thing? Shouldn't the state law say at some point in time, and you can figure out, I'll let smarter people than me figure out how you write this, but, you know, after, I don't know, the first high-speed chase or maybe the third time that you've been caught going 20 miles an hour over the speed limit without a driver's license, boom, you're going to jail. That seems to me to be something really, really simple. And if nothing else, look, I don't know it's going to deter other drivers from doing this, but if nothing else, it gets these people off the street because the way the system is now is essentially we have to wait until this LaShawn Thomas hits and kills somebody. He's doing the Milwaukee slide. He's driving in the bike lane 20 miles an hour over the speed limit. You know as sure as night follows day that he's going to hit somebody. And, and he's, he's going to hit and kill somebody in the bike lane, some pedestrian trying to cross. You know the next time he leads the cops on a high-speed chase, he, he's going to blow through a stoplight, and he's going to hit and kill somebody. And then we're all going to say, well, okay, you know, now, now you go to jail. Okay, I, I'm fine with that, but you you shouldn't have to wait till somebody dies when someone who is clearly a menace, who does not care about the law and does not care about any of us, they should be in jail. And if there's nothing that Republicans in the legislature can agree with and Tony Evers and vice versa, this should be it. Let's criminalize this stuff. Jeff, he should have been put away 30 times already. He's never going to obey anyone, the law, whatever. 
Absolutely. Um, you know, no. Jeff, whatever happened to habitual traffic offender? I thought that was an enhancer. No, it's not a crime. Jeff, let's get the state legislature and Governor Evers, Evers to cooperate and pass tough new three strikes or habitual criminality laws with mandatory sentences, including for juveniles. Whether it's reckless driving or car theft or vandalism or burglary or more violent offenses, you know, we, we need to protect ourselves. America's definitely not like Lake Wobegon, and we need updated laws to deal with the problematic criminals of today. Yeah. One of our texters says, sounds like he's doing this with kids in the car. Well, at least on multiple occasions, we know, yeah, he did. He has a seven-year-old and a three-year-old who aren't seatbelted in when he's driving like this. Um, There's no question about about this. Jeff, state law should have been changed five years ago to make second and for sure third offenses like this criminal. Right. Um, you know, that's that's the point. And again, I appreciate here what the police chief is doing. They're, it's, they're saying, OK, we're going to use the city attorney's office. We're going to use these civil remedies. But at the same time, why do we even get to this point out there. Jeff, my first thought was this guy is a loser. But then I thought, wait, um, you know, where are all the people in our government who don't seem to care about stopping people like this? To which I, I say, yes. Somebody says, Jeff, why doesn't the state legislature change the law? Absolutely. Why doesn't they don't they change the law? And like I say, some laws are difficult. I, I get it. You know, there, there are issues if we're talking about tax policy and should we implement a flat tax or not in the state of Wisconsin? I understand these are difficult decisions. You know, where do we balance abortion where you have some people who don't think that there should be any restrictions on abortion? There's some people who think that we should have no abortions at all. I understand those are, are tough trying to find the middle ground. For the love of Pete, though, trying to get somebody off the street before they are allowed to have 37 instances of driving like this and simply being said, well, there's nothing we can do criminally until they hit and kill somebody or hit and injure somebody. That, to me, is completely and totally unacceptable. And maybe if we're trying to find compromise, this is a good starting point for Governor Evers and for the Wisconsin State Legislature. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. More Jeff Wagner, right after this. Tatum puts up another three and zeroes in again. To Jalen Brown, and Brown carries the three. And this season will come to a resounding thought to end it. All of the lights. Giannis throws it off the backboard to himself with a two-hand flush. Scoops it up and in. Middleton three-pointer is good. Steps back, fires up the three for the tie. And he will throw it down. It's ESPN Wisconsin's Greg Scalzo for Smart Spaces. How can Smart Spaces transform your business? Really looking at the entire space holistically. The environment, the walls, ceilings, lighting, flooring, furniture, technology, along with acoustics. To conceptualize how the end users are going to interact with the room from the furniture all the way down to the AV, having that work seamlessly within the environment and often hiding within the furniture. Let Smart Spaces transform your business today. Visit SmartSpacesWI.com. Your business needs to provide the best health care benefits that also have to be affordable. An 
Individual Coverage Healthcare Reimbursement Arrangement, or ICRA, is a simpler way to create quality healthcare benefits for employees and gives them complete control of their choices. They select only the coverage that's right for them, and that saves you money. You don't have to reduce benefits or increase employee costs. Go to Zizzle.com to find out how. Zizzle, a benefits company offering better employee health care coverage choices. Hi, it's Mary Ann. Heiser is happy to say that we have inventory on our lots. Choose one of them or special order one. It's your choice. With Heiser, you'll get upfront pricing and there's no hidden market adjustment fees. Plus, for our customers, we never sell over MSRP. And to make things even better, Heiser includes with the purchase of every new, used, or order out our exclusive vehicle exchange program. If you don't love it, exchange it. At Heiser, today's your day. See dealer for complete details. Hi, this is Cindy Storm Fisher. And this is Julie Coombs from Storm Fisher Investment. Group. Inflation, a fresh 40-year high, hit this year. Gas prices, food prices, real estate prices, all scaring spenders, savers, and investors. Are you searching for ideas? Come see us. Over 40 years of caring about you. Stormfisher.com. Stormfisher.com. See you soon. Securities offered through Securities America, Inc. Member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered through Arbor Point Advisors, LLC. Stormfisher, Arbor Point, and Securities America are separate entities. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Welcome back. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. As rates and inflation still rise, how will the markets react? How much will a recession impact employment and earnings? Join WTMJ's Steve Scafidi and Annex Wealth Management's President and CEO, Dave Spano, as they walk through expectations for the new year in a virtual webinar on Thursday, December 8th from 1 to 2 p.m. Inflation, bull markets, bear markets have all your 2023 financial questions answered on our virtual webinar presented by Annex Wealth Management. Be sure to check that out. All right. You know, every year... Uh, Time Magazine, and we'll talk about this in the next couple weeks, Time Magazine comes out with their person or person of the of the year, and it's not necessarily the person who, I don't know, has, has accomplished the most positive. It's just like who's, who's the most newsworthy person. Um, in addition to Time Magazine, though, Merriam-Webster's, you know, the, the, the place that Merriam-Webster's that puts out the dictionary, they come out with their word of the year. And they are out with their word of the year for 2023. Now, um, essentially, they, they start off by saying, okay, it's a word that has been around for a long time, but that it, it suddenly came to prominence in 2022. Now, there were a couple words that they considered. One was the word codify. Um, and that was, they, they looked at codify after, after the Roe versus Wade decision, the Dobbs decision came down because, you know, the, the, a lot of people were saying, well, now the state legislatures are going to be asked to, quote unquote, codify Roe versus Wade. So codified was number two. Number one, the word of the year, according to Merriam-Webster, gaslighting. Now, of course, gaslighting is an old term. I mean, gaslighting goes back to a play from 1938 that became a a movie in the 1940s and and gaslight the movie involves a husband who tries to make his wife believe that she's going nuts by telling her that the gas lights in the house aren't dimming even though they are so that that's the whole idea he's trying to drive her insane because he's doing all these things and she's seeing these weird things and she's saying no and he's saying no 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 that it must be in your mind it's all in your head and of course i mean that's where gaslight gaslighting comes from it's now, though, 
morphed into being kind of a fancy way of saying you're lying. <laughs> that, that's essentially it. The, the idea of gaslighting is that um, it's the psychological manipulation of a person, usually over an extended period of time, that causes the victim to question the validity of their own thoughts. So that the context would be you believe one thing. But because you are being barraged with all this stuff in, in the media that tells you something different, and maybe that stuff that you're seeing isn't true, all right, you are being gaslit because you think, boy, I know that the sky is blue, but everybody out there is telling me the sky is green. Maybe the sky really isn't blue. And you, you can argue, of course, that the left argues that the right does all the gaslighting. The right argues that the left does all the gaslighting. I, I'm not taking a position on that at this moment. Simply to say, though, that gaslighting is alive and well, and it is the word of 2022 from Merriam-Webster. So very glad to have you with us. Hey, another day, another police chase. One person, this is out of West Dallas, one person taken into custody. This would be yesterday morning, about 1230 a.m. So we're talking Sunday night, Monday morning. West Dallas police officer attempted to make a traffic stop around 95th and Greenfield. Officer was trying to stop a vehicle because it was stolen. The, the, the plates don't match the registration for the car, so they try to pull it over. Well, what happens? This is, of course, you know, southeastern Wisconsin in 2022. Nobody stops for the cops. The vehicle did not stop. A pursuit ensued. Stop sticks were successfully deployed. The vehicle lost the tire and slowed down. At that point, a female passenger, what happens, runs from the car. Would you like to guess the age of the female passenger? All right, let, let's let's back this up. All right, so it's 1230 in the morning, Sunday night, Monday morning, high-speed chase, stolen car. Would you like to guess the age of the female passenger? Now imagine this. Let's say, all right, well, it's 12.30. You've got an 11 o'clock curfew. It's a, it's a school. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's actually it's a school night. School's going back in session. Okay, well, it's got to be an adult, right? Maybe maybe a 25-year-old woman. Eh, if you said 25, you'd be wrong. Maybe 20. Nah. 18? Nope. 15. 15-year-old girl is in this stolen car. She's the passenger leading the cops on a high-speed chase. After they blow out the tire, she gets out, stops, starts to run. The vehicle, with like two blown-out tires, continues to flee. It loses a second tire, strikes a retaining wall around 30th and Valit. The driver of the car gets out, flees on foot. It is amazing to me that these people crash these cars, and they're still in an able enough condition to get out and run from the cops. He was taken into custody. The fleeing vehicle, of course, was determined to be a stolen vehicle. The driver, a 22-year-old man from Milwaukee, will be referred to the district attorney's office for several different charges. Of course, this is John Chisholm's district attorney's office, so... You know, who knows what, if anything, will happen. But another day, another one of these car thefts. All right. The final Jeopardy answer is $1,178 a day. $1,178 a day. No, I'm not going to take phone calls. You don't have to guess like that. But just just imagine, what could cost $1,178 a day? No, I'm not talking about a cocaine habit. Nope, nope. Although, you know, that could probably cost you that. I'm not talking about, oh, I don't know, how much money does some place in Milwaukee take in? Nope, I'm not talking about that. $1,178 a day is the amount of money that the state of Wisconsin 
charges Milwaukee County for holding one of our juvenile delinquents in state custody. So when you have that 16-year-old who has stolen his 15th car, who has driven through the red light, who has hit and seriously injured or killed somebody, and who's being treated as a juvenile, and one of the judges decides to send the child off to, um, again, uh, Lincoln Hills is where we, we still send people. And there, there's actually, as of, as of just a week or two ago, the numbers I have say there were 38 boys from Milwaukee County currently incarcerated at Lincoln Hills and two girls at Copper Lake, which has, which is the, the, the the juvenile female holding facility. So you got 38 boys. And as we've talked about before, you really got to work to get yourself sent away. So, you know, you know that those 38, if there's 38 there, there should probably be 130 really there. But we've got the juvenile court judges, the judges that back off because, oh, we, we don't want to send these kids out of the community and stuff. So they, they send them off to Lincoln Hills, which is something that I completely applaud. And if you've been a regular listener to this program, you know, I think they should have been doing a lot more of it. But but what really struck me about this is the fact that it's $1,178 a day. And that's not necessarily the total cost. That's just what the state of Wisconsin charges Milwaukee County for holding these juveniles. So $1,178 a day. Let's do the math. That's that's almost $8,000 a week. All right, you can go to Disney World with a family of four and eat on their meal plans for that. You can take a river cruise in France and see Normandy for $8,000 a week. Let's expand this. At that rate, it is over $380,000 a year to house one juvenile delinquent. Now, I am not opposed to, to sending people off, and matter of fact, that's what I think the answer is. I mean, people say, well, what would you do with crime, you know, juvenile or otherwise? I'd say, look, you, what we need to do is we need to flood the high-crime areas with police. We need to arrest the people that are committing the crimes, and then we need to take them off the street. And I apply that to juveniles, and I apply it to adults. But my question is, how in the world can it cost this much money to house these juvenile delinquents? No, three hundred eighty plus thousand dollars a year. Think of what you can do. Eight thousand dollars a week. Think think of the places you can stay and what we can do for eight thousand dollars a week. To me, one of the starting points, and maybe this ties back to what we were talking about before with the state legislature and the governor, would be figuring out why it is so expensive to do this. Now, I understand you need prison guards and you need guards and you have to pay them. I I get all that. And I understand you've got housing that you have to provide. And I understand that. But $1,178 a day, it seems to me that that is ridiculous. And it seems to me that one of the starting points should be, hey, let's take a hard look at this and figure out, isn't there something we can do? Isn't there a way we can house these juvenile delinquents, getting them off the street, for less than $8,000 a week? 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. At this rate, you might be better off just, I don't know, taking them and sending them to Europe and let, let them backpack through Europe, for goodness sakes, instead of putting them in Lincoln Hills. 
855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. Look, I'm all in favor of sending sending juveniles to 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 incarcerating them, sending them to the House of Correction, not the House of Correction, but in this case, it's, it's Lincoln Hills. And I think in part, there, there's been a little bit of a sea change of pressure because I think more and more people are just mad as you know what about the fact that juveniles have for years and years been able to essentially run rampant. So now some juvenile judges are starting to send more of these kids to jail, which I think is a, is a great Great, great thing. You have to treat <clears throat> and have to have them accountable. But, you know, one of the downsides is when you send somebody off to Lincoln Hills, the state charges Milwaukee County, in this case, almost 1200 bucks a day, a day for these kids. And my question is, wh- why in the world does it cost this much? Let's start with Joe in West Bend. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff, man. Thanks for uh, taking my call. Yes, sir. Why aren't prisons and jail systems um, a zero cost to society? Why aren't they working inside, producing, doing whatever, making license plates, weaving baskets, whatever the case may be? How can this be that it's $1,100 to yeah. keep these kids a, a day, per a day. day? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm it's just insane. trying to, are, are we putting them up in the four seasons? That, that's that's what's just so bizarre to me. And I mean, I understand it costs money to incarcerate people, but 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 almost 1200 bucks a day, $8,000 a week, you, there, there's got to be a cheaper way to do this. There's just got to be, doesn't there? I mean, what, what is this? What is this? This is 50. This is more than the average, um, income <laughs> of Americans. Yeah. Okay. That it's costing us. Okay. Over $50,000 a year oh, over, to no. incarcerate these people. No, no, Joe, I'm sorry. Let me, let me just th- thank you. No, uh, let me correct you. No, it's not over $50,000 a year. It, it's, it's almost $1,200. A day, it's over three hundred and eighty thousand dollars a year. I mean, just yes, you're you're right. Can I see a show of hands? Everybody's making three hundred eighty grand a year. Can I see? It? Okay, well, I don't see too many hands going up. Maybe one over there. Maybe one over there. I don't see too many of those hands going up. But yeah, this is we're paying three hundred eighty grand. And by the way, I understand you have to pay prison guards. I I understand that there is a cost that is involved in this. But don't we have to take a step back and say, okay, we we have to figure out a way to do this more more cheaply and yeah i understand you got to pay a couple teachers to try to educate the people you got the counselors and you got the guards and i'm not saying we shortchange any of those people but there's got to be an economy of scale there twelve hundred dollars and i again i don't think that's the full cost that's just what the state charges milwaukee county per juvenile offender my guess is that the total cost is probably more than that let's talk to uh, pa in milwaukee you're in wtmj hello Hi. Hi. I'm going to ask my question, and then I'm just going to hang up because i got a doctor's appointment. Okay. Well, thanks but for calling. I have a lot of family members. <laughs> I have a lot of family members um, in Milwaukee, so I'm just trying to understand how much does it cost students to go to school per student and while we're giving away 1100 just Oh, okay. So easily. Okay, off, off. I'm gonna. Oh, thank, okay, thanks for calling because I know I don't want to stop you from the doctor's appointment. But here's the deal. Um, I, I will double check during the break. So I'm just 
I'm, this is off the top of my head, and it might be it, it might be a little skewed one way or the other. My understand. I, I want to say for let's take Milwaukee Public Schools. I want to say it's in the neighborhood of sixteen thousand dollars per student per year, and, and it, it could be fifteen, it could be eighteen. I, I, for some reason, sixteen thousand is sticking in my mind. But but let's you make a very good point. Let's let us assume that that my number is low, and let's assume that it's. I, I mean, heck, let, let's let's assume that it's double that. I don't think it is, but let, let's assume it's thirty grand. And I think that that's not what we pay. But let's assume it costs thirty grand a year to send a kid to public schools in, in Milwaukee. Okay, that that's thirty grand a year to put them in prison. To put them in prison is like three hundred and eighty grand a year. For goodness sakes, I mean, there there is there is something that that's wrong with with this. And I wish you know a lot of times I, I like to talk about problems and I like to offer constructive solutions. And, and I don't I don't necessarily have one other than this strikes me as being just absolutely Looney Tunes when it comes to the, the amount of money and the costs. And there's got to be a way that you can dial this back. And and if you dial it back, maybe that then encourages more juvenile court judges to do the right thing. And, and the right thing being, okay, let's get these juvenile delinquents out of of the community because I, I do I mean I do understand if you're a juvenile court judge and you're, you're thinking oh my gosh I, this, this kid really needs to be you know we need to get him out of Milwaukee County we need to get him out of this environment we need to punish him but it's going to cost the taxpayers three hundred eighty thousand dollars a year I, I understand that that's probably in people's minds so to me if you can figure out a way to lower the costs of incarceration then Maybe it makes it an easier choice to do what I think we all think needs to happen, which is send the kids off to jail. Marianne on the northwest side. Marianne, you're um, on WTMJ. Yes. Um, you had mentioned about uh, them going to Europe and uh, backpacking and that. They feel that they were on vacation. And another thing, they should be scared straight. They should be uh, uh, confronted with some of these uh uh, people that are in jail, that they can scare the bejeebers out of them, and then they won't be returning, and we won't have to worry about paying for their upkeep. Um, yeah, I, I, well, I've always thought, I mean, thanks for the call. You know, one of the problems, Marianne, and I get into this argument with people, and I, this is this goes back to my days uh, as being a prosecutor. I, we, we, I get into these arguments sometimes with people who would say, Jeff, you don't understand. We don't send people to prison for punishment. We send people to prison as punishment. So the idea being that the punishment is sending them to prison. And my point has always been, well, hold on just a second. You know, if, if you, if you don't make prison some something that's somewhat punitive, well, then, you know, you, people aren't going to be worried about it. It's just going to be, oh, okay, th- this is fine. Well, I'm, I'm going to go hang out with my gangbanger buddies, and, and, yeah, we're going to have some restrictions and stuff, but it's really, it's it's not that bad. So, I mean, do, look, do am I talking about reinstituting chain gangs and things like that? No, I, I'm not. But I, but I do think that, you know, you don't have to make prison or juvenile correction facilities or whatever. You don't need to make them as desirable as they might be. And and if it means that, oh, gee, you know, you, you got your TV privileges, you know, cut off or things like that. OK, that's to me, that's fine. I can I can live with that. Um, let's see, Jeff, I have two questions. Um, number one. Um, OK, let's see, Jeff, finally. 
You hit their nail on the head. You hit the reason that they don't do anything about reckless drivers. It's too expensive to prosecute. Well, okay, maybe we need to maybe we need to to do there. Jeff, that number you threw out seems impossible to believe. Just impossible. I can't believe that number isn't out there on every TV station and radio station. <laughs> um, yeah, I had a couple of drinks at the Ritz-Carlton in Sarasota, and, you know, it's about $1,000 a day to stay there. Well, absolutely. It's cheaper to stay at the Ritz-Carlton in Sarasota than it is to send somebody to the uh, Lincoln Hills Correctional Facility. Something is wrong there. Jeff, now I know why taxes are so high. Well, there's an element of that um right at some point in time you need to i think come around and say look we've got to figure out a way to be smarter about how we do this and if i were the governor and the legislature the very first well i wouldn't say the first thing but as part of overall juvenile justice reform which is long overdue one of the things would be why does it cost so darn much to do this we have to look at what we're doing and we have to figure out okay maybe it shouldn't cost as much to send somebody to Lincoln Hills as it does to take an eight-day cruise down the Seine in France. Just saying. So very glad to have you with us. Yeah, I was trying to look at the, I was trying to look at the numbers um, with the per pupil spending, and uh, let's see, Milwaukee Public Schools spend here's the now this this might be a year old so um the Milwaukee public schools spend about 15,250 bucks to educate a, a child and that's more than the state average so okay $15,250 a year we we spent $8,000 a week just to you know take some juvenile delinquent and keep them off the streets all I'm saying is that there's something really, 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 really wrong with that. When we come back, all right, you hit that pothole, who should pay? Mike Pence breaks bad on Donald Trump. And are you frustrated that you can't take anything at the drugstore without having somebody open up the container? I will explain all that, and we will discuss. The next hour of the Wagner Show kicks off right after the top of the hour news. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. So Mike Spaulding, on a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being soccer, what's soccer, and 10 being I am riveted, I haven't slept for the last four nights, how interested you are you in the World Cup in general and the U.S. men's team in particular? I'd say for right now, we're going 1 to 10. Uh, right now, probably a six. Now, if they can manage to win today and make it into the the, the tournament, tournament, uh, it'll probably ramp up to a seven and a half, maybe an eight. You know, it is interesting. I, I became a a fan of football or or soccer, as they say, a number of years ago, because I used to um, I used to belong to the Wisconsin Athletic Club, and I'd go early Saturday mornings and I'd work out and I'd be on the treadmill, and there'd be absolutely nothing on TV except for like sports center reruns and so you're, you're on the treadmill and you're trying to watch and then so I, I got i started watching the english premier league which you know because of the time difference you know it's seven o'clock six o'clock in the morning you know they've got soccer games on and so i i became a, a fan and and i've really grown to appreciate the game the the world cup 
the the last couple well, last time around four years ago the U.S. wasn't in it. You know, this year the U.S. is is back, and um, I I think it, it's interesting to see how how many people become soccer fans for the duration of of this tournament, or at least for a couple weeks. That's it's kind of like. People, be, everybody gets a horse racing fan on the day of the Kentucky Derby, and then the 364 days of the rest of the year, they could care less. But when the World Cup comes around every four years, people people attend and pay attention. The 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 pomp and circumstance and the pageantry around it and the passion that everyone has, I you know, it's hard to deny. It almost reminds me a little bit of like the Olympics. You know, everyone like you yeah. mentioned, everyone loves track and field for the two weeks uh, yeah. every every four August or so because you know the U.S. is playing in it, and I get swept up in it a a little bit. I just saw a guy wearing a sweet Budweiser uh, suit jacket there in the in the crowd for the U.S. game right now. But no, of course, I they're can... in Qatar where you can't buy Budweiser. Yeah, but that's another story. Yeah, yeah, you can just you can wear it. You can wear it though. Yeah, so I get excited. I, I look forward to it. You know, it's more exciting when the U.S. plays, and unfortunately, the men aren't you know as good as uh, they could be because I think the the temperature would really get turned up. You know, if they could make it into the final four or you know, really be close to, to playing in the in the final and having a chance to actually win the whole thing. But, yeah, I, I like the pomp and circumstance. It's fun. Well, it's interesting. We will keep you posted. The, the U.S. is playing Iran. And, of course, there's there, there's all sorts of side issues because in, in Iran right now, Iran is is going through another one of its seemingly endless crackdowns on on dissent, people who are you know, talking about how they, they want. There, there's what, what happened is you had a woman who was killed a number of weeks ago, and there's all sorts of protests that have broken out, and now you've got the regime that's kind of cracking down on that there was a report that the um the iranian soccer team uh that their their families were like brought together by some of the iranian authorities and quote unquote threatened now you you don't know how much is accurate about that or not but it's it's clearly added a couple levels to you know what's going on but we'll continue to keep you posted this for the u.s men's team this is the Final game of the first round, and if they win, they advance, and if they lose, they, they don't. And that's how, pretty much how it, it comes down to it. All right, there is story that caught my attention. Now, Portland, Oregon has been a complete and total – the city is a complete and total disaster. It, it got – you will recall, at the height of the defund the police movement, I mean, Portland got swept up into this – and you, you had on an almost nightly basis, you had what I'm going to describe as riots. You, you had the police that essentially ceded large segments of the city to the, the protesters, etc. And, you know, Portland, which is a very, very nice city, essentially has become unlivable in many respects. Uh, there's, a, there's a story that caught my attention. Portland store, this is the headlines, shuts down. A Portland, Oregon clothing shop permanently shut down this month after facing a string of break-ins that has left the store financially gutted, according to a note posted on the front of the store. This is what the, the note says. It was printed on something called Rain's PDX Store. Our city is in peril. Small businesses and large cannot sustain doing business in our city's current state. We have no protection or recourse against the criminal behavior that goes unpunished. Do not be fooled into thinking that insurance companies cover our losses. We have sustained 15 break-ins. We have not received any financial reimbursement since the third. The store's owner, Marcy Landolfo, said that after 15 break-ins over the last year and a half, the business can't survive the financial burdens that crimes have cost the shop. She says the problem is, as small businesses, we can't sustain these types of losses and stay in business. I won't even go into the numbers of how much of 
we our own pocket that we have had to go into. She says the products that are being targeted, and she's talking about not only break-ins but also extensive shoplifting, are expensive winter products. And I, I just felt like the minute I get those in the store, they're going to get stolen. The message posted to the front store noted the shop is closing due to unrelenting, unrelenting criminal behavior coupled with escalating safety issues for our um, employees. All right, so you, you get the background. The, the store is closing. There's another story that, that's related to this in a way, and it's something that you have probably experienced. Because shoplifting, theft, break-ins are, are so very, very rampant. First of all, you got stores that are closing because they, they just can't afford to stay into business, in business. But also, you have stores that find themselves forced to forced to take into account the losses that they're having as to how they present stuff. Now, it was not that long ago that if you would walk into a drugstore, you could walk up and down the aisles and you could say, hey, I need shaving cream. I'm taking the shaving cream. Oh, and I'm going to put it in my little basket or I'm going to put it in my cart. And, and now I, I need some deodorant. So I'm going to take the deodorant off the, the shelf. I'm going to put that in there. And here, here, I need some cough medicine, not the prescription stuff, just the over-counter stuff. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to grab this. And hey, I need some uh, AAA batteries or whatever. Here, I'm going to grab those and put them in the carts. Remember, you used to be able to, to walk up and down the aisles of stores and do that. Well, good luck with that anymore. Story in the Los Angeles Times. While shopping for decongestion at Walmart in Burbank, Michelle Kreider ran into a frustrating sign of the Times. The nasal spray was on a shelf locked behind plexiglass. To get the decongestant, the woman had to press a red button on the electronic device mounted nearby that would summon a store worker to open the case. But her patients ran out within two minutes, and she walked away before an employee can respond. And then the story goes on to talk about how it is a common problem as store managers add more and more security measures, where once only expensive booze and electronics were locked up, now basic household items such as allergy medicine, shaving razors, infant formula, and batteries are ending up in plexiglass cases cases or behind security devices. More merchandise has also been moved to displays behind, behind cashier counters. My producer, Charlie, whose birthday is today, happy birthday, Charlie, was telling me a story. He, he went to an, an area drugstore yesterday because he wanted batteries, right? Wanted to buy batteries. And it was the same thing. Instead of just being able to walk up and pull batteries off the rack and then go stand in line and pay for them, the batteries were behind, you know, one of those plexiglass things. So what you had to do was you had to buzz for the employee, wait for the employee to, to come, and then, you know, end up taking the batteries. My guess is you are experiencing that more and more. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. Now, this is not universal. And if you live in, in certain parts of the community, my guess is you're like, well, Jeff, what are you, you talking about? I mean, other than like expensive electronic stuff, I can walk up and down the aisles of my local, you know, whatever, and I can just take the stuff off the shelf. That's great. But there's huge parts of this community, southeastern Wisconsin in general, too, where because theft has gotten so out of control, this is what the the different store operators are having to do. They're having to put stuff behind lock and key because we're not doing enough to stop shoplifting. So as a result of that, all the rest of us 
are inconvenienced at best and maybe just deterred from shopping at worst. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ Talk and Text Line. Have you noticed this phenomena at places you go, more and more stuff being locked up so you can't just grab it? Gee, I really need these razor blades, but now I've got to wait five minutes for somebody to come and unlock the case. 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. 855 855- 616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. This is one of the things that happens when we, we don't pay attention to the, the small stuff. When we simply say, okay, we don't view shoplifting as a big deal. You know, you go in, you, you steal stuff. Well, it's insured. Well, most of the time it's not insured. And, and especially for these small businesses, they just, they, they can't keep taking the, the constant losses. So in some cases, the shop, the stores close. In other cases, what they have to do is they have to put everything under lock and key. And then, you know, you have to, gee, I want razor blades. I gotta wait while I buzz this and hope some employee is gonna come just to give me my razor blades. But th- this all goes back to, by not treating shoplifting as a crime, by just allowing people to do it, what we do is this is the environment we get in. So if, if you noticed more and more stuff being locked up, Holly in Kenosha. Holly, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Jeff, Jeff, thank you. And first of all, happy and healthy Thanksgiving to you and Fran. And I look forward to listening to thank the you. Christmas uh, uh, podcast thank you. coming up uh, on the radio. Oh, I, I have seen this, and I didn't know what was going on. A few months ago, back in Walmart, and I apologize, it was either Wa- uh, Milwaukee or the suburbs. I, I do frequent. I love to go to the Milwaukee and Milwaukee suburbs. I was standing at the aisle of uh, the uh, the hand soaps that you pump. You know, you yeah, use sure. your, your, the pump. Sure. Uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to mention a brand name. Sure. We'll call it, uh, let's say Dup. Sure. Locked up with a, with, a, with a key. And I said to a customer, <laughs> why is this locked up? Yeah. And he says, well, people must be stealing. Yeah. And I didn't wasn't buying any. I just happened to notice it. Yeah. That was number one. Number two, uh, I used to buy multibetic vitamins. It's If you're diabetic, for the record, I'm not diabetic, but I used to buy it. You take it off the counter at Walmart. Yeah. Then they had it locked up in with a lock and key with the whatever diabetic people use, you know, right. their blood sugar, what they check. Okay. And I didn't understand what was going on. And I especially didn't understand what was, it was a shock to see the, the handheld soap yeah. locked up with a lock. And I can understand the diabetic supplies. Yeah. Oh, sure. the kids are probably shooting noodles, needles, excuse me, shooting needles up. What, you know, okay. Yeah. The, the, the innocent, innocent, yeah, the, the stuff. No, no. With a <laughs> no, no, Holly, thanks for calling. No, you're exactly right. And, and that's it more and more. Jeff, my local Walgreens locks up deodorant, razors, laundry soap. It's frustrating. Half the store is locked up, and they're already short-staffed. It takes forever. I have to now just done all my shopping at once uh, at Walmart or Amazon. It's too convenient to sit around and wait, inconvenient now to sit around and wait for clerks. Well, that that's one of the problems. It becomes a vicious cycle be because of theft they have to lock everything up but because of quiet quitting or whatever you don't have enough employees to service the people so it's this vicious cycle so then people end up getting frustrated and hey i'm going to go out and and of course the the bottom line all comes down to the idea that the reason this is happening is because we let people steal and get away with it uh tony in milwaukee tony you're on wtmj hi jeff Jeff, that was that walgreens 
And the two items I needed, the Gillette um, disposable blades and my little tie thing, it was cost like five bucks. Those were both under lock, and I had to get an attendant to open up. So, okay, the laundry soap, like the Tide, like Tide Pods or things like that, that was under lock and key, yeah. too? Wow. Yeah, yeah, all of them. All the Tides were under lock. She said, and the other ones were open. She said they steal the Tide. Wow. <laughs> Thanks. For, I, I mean, I, I, you know, I, it's just, but this is, look, and I, I mean, I understand. This is, it, it used to be. That, um, okay, if you had, like, video games and stuff, I mean, I, I can remember when, when those were behind, you know, lock and key. And I, I certainly understand if it's, uh, I don't know, some of the, the higher-priced, you know, electronic sort of stuff, which is easy to put in your purse or put in your backpack or, or whatever. But but that's not what we're talking about now. We're talking about, you know, double-A batteries. We're, we're talking about the razor blades. You're talking about laundry soap, for goodness sakes. Our first caller, Holly, is talking about, like, hand soap. You, you've got to lock up hand soap under lock and key. And the... the the reason we are in this situation, again, it's it all goes back to this broken windows type of stuff. And this isn't unique to our area here. This is a national phenomena. We, we've simply said we're not going to concentrate on the little stuff. We don't care if people steal stuff. We'll just, okay, pass that cost on to the merchants. Well, okay, number one, the merchants can't afford to bear that cost. But number two, this is how they respond. They have to lock everything up. Jan in West Dallas. Jan, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. So this one is one that surprised me. I never expected it. I went to um, a local grocery store. It has several um, several uh, stores here in the Milwaukee area. Going to buy lobster tails for an occasion, and they weren't in the case anymore. And I asked the butchers, well, they keep them behind the meat counter. So you tell them what you want, if you want one or two or, or whatever, and they'll take your lobster tail to the front of the store to the cashier to buy it. But you can't. Hold it, look at it, double check if it's big enough, whatever. So they won't and even give, they won't even give it to you. You can't even go and say, okay, I want three lobster tails, and they won't even give right. it to you. They have to somebody nope. somebody has to walk it up to the counter. Wow. Correct. Wow. And the last time I was there, the people in the front really weren't sure how to do that. So I got to the front. It's like, well, where where's my where are my lobster tails? And they really didn't know how to do that. So it's just, you know, I, I, I got used to medicines. I got used to a lot of things being locked, but certainly not food items. Um, <laughs> no, no. Thank, thanks for calling. I mean, I, I just I mean, how bizarre is that? Because, I mean, look, I understand sometimes they, they don't put the things out. You go up to the meat counter or the seafood counter and you say, I want three lobster tail or give me some of those crab, give me a couple pounds of crab legs or, or you know, I want those two steaks there. And so, I, I mean, I understand that degree of control. But the idea that now we have to have people that run these up and meet you at the counter so we make sure that you're not going to steal the stuff. And, and I guess, look, here, here's the point. Is, is it an inconvenience? Yes. And, and I think that's a big deal. But it, it raises this larger point. Why are the retailers being forced to do this? They're being forced to do this because they are the victims. And, and that's what they are. They're the victims of, of crime. In this case, you know, out of control retail theft that as a general rule, and it's not just in Milwaukee, but it is in Milwaukee as well, that we, we don't treat seriously. You know, we don't prosecute people. We say, oh, this isn't a big deal. So you go in and you steal, you know, $300 worth of batteries from Walgreens and things like that. Well, you know, that that's okay. They can, they can afford to take the hit. Well, y- yes, to know you know if you've got five or six people that are doing this on a daily basis and it you know that a couple hundred dollars quickly becomes thousands of dollars and tens of thousands of dollars and the store either number one can't stay open or alternatively 
they, they pass the cost on to the rest of us because that's that that's what happens. You know, the, the cost of these losses get passed on because, again, the, the stores have to make some of their profit thing. My point here is if you're noticing this, the reason is because of crime, pure and simple. And that raises the question of why are the rest of us tolerating this? And maybe when you hear the story about somebody that's stolen, you know, $250 worth of shaving cream and razor blades and double-A batteries or whatever from the local store, maybe the question we should be asking is, okay, what's going to happen to them? What's going to happen to them? How are they going to be held accountable? And if they're not going to be held accountable, why not? Here's a text. Okay, Jeff, make up your mind. Shoplifters should be arrested. I agree. However, if they're arrested and jailed, you complain about the cost, to which I say, oh, no contraire. You, You don't understand my position. The only time I complain about cost of locking people up, like the segment we did earlier about $1,178 a day to house juvenile criminals, is when the cost is excessive. I never say don't lock criminals up. I say we got to figure out a way to not make it cost as much. But no, you got to get people off the street, because if you don't, all you see is more and more of something happening. In this case, it's shoplifting. More and more outlets are reporting what um, we we talked about right at the start of the show. Uh, According to her husband, Brian Doro, and Brian, uh, former Waukesha County law enforcement officer and just a a, a lengthy history in connection with law enforcement, uh, Brian Doro, um, he let the cat out of the bag, and it's not, not a surprise. I think a lot of us have been... In, a lot of people out in Waukesha have been suggesting that this was the direction that uh, Judge Jennifer Doro was moving. But uh, he is, according to numerous reports, confirming that his wife, Jennifer, will be officially announcing tomorrow at uh, outside the Waukesha courthouse that she is running for the Wisconsin State Supreme Court. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I've, I've sent out a link to the story that appears on today's TMJ4. As I have said earlier, I, I think what well, right now what you hear is is liberals all across the state of Wisconsin. Their, their heads are exploding. There's two very liberal candidates that are, are running, and, and this is – all Supreme Court elections are important, but there's seven members of the Supreme Court, and right now there's a, a split ideologically, four to three, and it, it's it's a conservative. The, the the four who are in the Supreme Court lean conservative. There's one of the justices that from time to time, I don't know, kind of bounces around a little bit, but essentially it's it's four to three. Um, in March or April, uh, Justice Patience Rogensack, who is, has been on the bench for quite a while, she's, she's 82 years old and she's stepping down. She's retiring. These are 10 year terms. And so the, the liberals across the state who have been frustrated by the Supreme Court reining in Tony Evers and some of the, the big government things that he's been trying to do, they, they've really targeted this seat. They want to pick up, um, the, the Rosensack seat. And so, Rogensack seat. And so, They've been concentrating. Like I say, there's a, a Milwaukee County Circuit Judge who is very, very far to the left, and there's a Madison, Dane County Circuit Judge, very, very far to the left, and, and they're, they both set their sights on this. There was one conservative candidate who announced he was running, and that is Dan Kelly. And I've said this before. Uh, Dan Kelly was appointed to the state Supreme Court in 2016 by Scott Walker. I have no issue with him except for the fact 
that he ran for a full 10-year term in 2020 and, and was soundly defeated. In 55-45, liberals have been salivating that Kelly was going to be the conservative candidate because they figured, well, he, he got 44% of the vote back in, you know, to, back in 2020. Here, this will be another thing when we put up another liberal candidate and they'll be able to win. Well, okay, Jennifer Doro, who I think you know, is going to align more with the conservatives, but I don't think she's an arch conservative or anything like that. She's got the, the high public profile, of course, coming from the Daryl Brooks case. But but beyond that, I mean, there's going to be these efforts to try to paint her as somebody who's inexperienced. She's been on the bench in Waukesha for 11 years. Before that, she was a defense attorney. Before that, she was a Waukesha prosecutor. I mean, she's been practicing law for, you know, 25-plus years. So it's it's not like... This is just somebody who's come in, walked into a high-profile case, handled it well, and is trying to, to do that. And as I've, I've been saying for several weeks now, timing is everything in, in politics or for people in the judiciary who want to seek higher office. You've got to know when your time is. And I, I think this has always been Judge Doro's time. You know, coming off the, the admirable way she handled the Daryl Brooks case, I think, you know, she. you want to talk about high name recognition, you want to talk about making a favorable impression. Now, I have no doubt that the left in Wisconsin is going to try to do everything they possibly can to demonize her, but that's that, that's going to be a lot tougher to demonize her than, say, it was to try to demonize Tim Michaels or, or something like that. I'm not saying they're not going to try, but I think it's going to be tougher to pull that off. But the, the bottom line is, and I said this in my tweet, I think it's just very, very good news that she's running, in large part because I think she would be an excellent addition to the Wisconsin Supreme Court. And for people who like the ideological balance where it is, like me, I think that, you know, she she gives she gives the people of Wisconsin the best opportunity of doing that. I think she will be a very, very strong candidate if, and apparently when, she gets into the race. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about Donald Trump. Stick around. So very glad to have you with us. For those of you who have been following the the World Cup and, of course, the U.S. men's national team, World Cup soccer, that is, football is what they call it, the U.S. Uh, men's national team, they're in the, the opening stage, and right now they're in the middle of playing a game with Iran. And essentially, if the U.S. men's national team wins, they advance to what they call the knockout round. They the, There's 32 teams in the tournament. They eliminate 16, um, and they, they play in, in groups of four. They're seated in groups of four, and the top two teams out of every four advance. And right now this is... It's essentially do or die for the U.S. men's national team because if they if they win today and they have to win, they advance. If they tie or they lose and they're playing Iran, um, then then they go home. Right now, with uh, about a minute or two left in the first half, the U.S. men's national team is ahead. They're winning one to nothing over Iran. So if that score were to hold, and you've got a little bit of time left in the first half, and then you've got the entire second half, if that score were to hold. The U.S. men's national team would advance to the knockout round. How cool would that be? All right. I, I, I have not 
I made a point of not discussing this story, although I know it's been percolating in the news for the last week or so. And, and part of it is because there, there was an opinion piece in, in all places, the New York Times the other day, written by Patty Davis. She's the um, daughter of Ronald Reagan. And, and essentially, the, the point of the piece she wrote was that we should just ignore Donald Trump. For, for everybody who wants Donald Trump to go away, what, what he's doing is, is he's an attention seeker. And so the, the best way to respond to that would just be to, to ignore him. And if, if people ignored him, then you, you wouldn't, he, he would, he wouldn't get the attention he would get. And for, for everybody who says they hate him and the news media says, oh, this guy's awful, you know, when they run stories about everything he does, they give him that attention that he craves. And I think Patty Davis has a point there. But at the same time, there are – this is the former president of the United States who aspires to be the president again. Now, I, I think I've made no secret of this if you just – haven't heard the program before or might have missed those shows. I, I never considered myself to be a never Trumper, although I wasn't a huge fan of him back in 2016. But I, I am I'm definitely with Paul, Paul Ryan. I'm a never again Trumper. I, I think that that he cannot win the election if he were to be the Republican nominee. He will go down in flames. Um, I think that there's a better than even chance that he doesn't even make it to the primaries because I think he's going to find that his poll numbers are going to continue to go down. His funding sources are going to dry up. I, I think there's a better than 50-50 chance that for he, he, he drops out before the primaries kick in about a year and 13 months from now. But nevertheless, he he's, continues to get a lot of attention. And what he's gotten attention for lately is this highly publicized dinner that, that he had where he he brought Kanye West or the artist formerly known as Kanye West now who now calls himself Ye and 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 Kanye West that's we'll call him Kanye West and it's just so people understand you know who we're talking about he's in the news for making several statements that are well I think fairly described as incredibly you know anti-semitic and I think it's fair to say that Kanye West, by his public statements, appears to be a, a Holocaust denier. For reasons that pass explanation, Donald Trump decided to invite Kanye West to dinner. Kanye West, for reasons that define explanation, brought with him a guy named Nick Fuentes. Nick Fuentes is, well, I, I think it's fair to describe him as, as a white nationalist. I mean, there's, there, there, there's no question about it. And apparently, you know, Trump said, well, he, he was just a guest. I, I welcomed him. And I, I saw that this guy, you know, said nice things about me. So, I, yeah, sure, we'll, we'll sit down. I didn't really know who he was. I didn't know he was a white supremacist, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, he said nice things about me, and we had a good conversation. So he invites these guys to dinner. All right. And then, of course, this this gets the, the, the story. Well, now what's happening is a lot of people are breaking bad on this story. I'm looking at it in the um, Wall Street Journal Mike Pence, former vice president, says Donald Trump should apologizing, apologize for having dinner with white nationalist Nick Fuentes and Kanye West, uh, former vice president Mike Pence said, adding to many Republicans' criticism of the meeting, just as Trump is trying to attempt a third presidential bid. President Trump was wrong to give a white nationalist, an anti-Semite, and a Holocaust denier a seat at the table. And I think he should apologize for it. He should denounce these individuals and their hateful rhetoric without qualification. And that's 
Pence is just the latest of a whole series of politicians to say, you know, I mean, what are you thinking? What are you doing? And why aren't you apologizing? All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. All right, does being Donald Trump mean that you never have to say you're sorry? What do you think? Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. The you know, on the one hand, for those of us who just want Donald Trump to go away, you you just you almost hate talking about this. But at the same time, the the amount of bad judgment that he continues to display, in, in my opinion, is just uh, amazing. You know, a week after announcing that he's going to run again for president. And again, I don't think that's going anywhere. But as some people point out, Jeff, you didn't think he was going to win in 2016. I didn't think he was going to win in 2016. But I, I, I've seen nothing since 2016 that convinces me that that he can win in 2024. And I think his poll numbers are going to continue to go down. His funding sources are going to dry up. But the amount of, of bad judgment that he continues to show is just mind boggling. And, you know, you're running for president, so you invite Kanye West, and you he brings along this white supremacist who apparently just sits there and, and flatters Donald Trump. And Donald Trump, well, he said nice things about me. Oh, okay, I mean, really? 855-616-1620. Jeff, um, let's see. He won't say he's sorry because of his overt narcissistic personality disorder. Look up the definition. It fits him to a T. Jeff, Trump thinks he never has to apologize, but that doesn't mean that he shouldn't. Um, Jeff, are we really surprised that Trump did that? It got us talking about him again, which may have just been his goal. Well, again, that's the point that Ronald Reagan's daughter was making. She says, you know, for people who Republicans, Democrats, well, and mostly Republicans who want Trump to go away, that's what they should do. They should just ignore him. But because of the news media and the Democrats, it's going to be very tough to do because they realize that Trump is the boogeyman and that Trump has the potential to take down the Republican Party. Dave, who is calling us from a car phone. Dave, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Nice to speak to you. Thanks for calling. Um, my thoughts are Mr. Trump is not stupid. He knows he is most likely not going to get um, the presidency back. So what he is doing while he has a megaphone is preaching to his extremely devout followers purely for the fact that they will write checks to him. He is the quintessential grifter. Hmm. He is using his station to try and get people who will blindly follow him to write him checks to enrich himself. How how long does this work? I, I mean, I just... I, I guess it just seems to me that if your theory is is correct, which it may well be, this is just kind of a losing strategy because at some point in time, don't people just just don't people get wise to this and say this this guy's got no chance of winning and he's marginalizing himself more and more. Yes, it will be in the future, but right now, I bet you just by him being in the news and the people who attended that lunch. There's people right now writing checks to him. So you make hay while the sun shines. Whether it's for good or bad, the man is making hay while the sun shines. And 
he'll stop when it's not profitable for him. The man is all about putting money into his own pockets. Uh, well, I, I think that's that's an element, and, and and you are right. Thanks to call, Dave. You you are you are right that there are some people who just that they, they are of the cult of Donald Trump. Let me share with you one of these texts, Jeff. You're a moron. Trump 2024. Don't you remember 2016? Are you suffering from dementia, maybe like Biden? Let me see. An AM radio broadcaster in Milwaukee knows more than a former president about how to be rich. You are a moron. So, I mean, I look, I, I appreciate that there are people out there who just still have drank the Kool-Aid. They are part of the cult. And and obviously they will continue to be like the base of Donald Trump. I'm just saying that there's fewer and fewer of those people out there. And, um, you know, I think what he's going to find is he tries to stage rallies, if he does that, as he tries to, well, I mean, just look at the, the speech that the guy gave, you know, to announce his presidency. It, it just, it had no energy. You had people who were trapped in that ballroom. Um, it, it's, I mean, I understand Donald Trump in 2023 is going to try to recon, rekindle, you know, Donald Trump in 2020, in 2015, but I'm sorry. I, I think it's completely and totally different now. Now, Time will, in fact, tell, but um, I stand by my statement. I think it's better than 50-50 that Donald Trump doesn't even make it to the primaries because he's going to look at this. He can read polls as well as anybody else, and if Ron DeSantis or Tim Scott or Nikki Haley or whatever are starting to pass him up and the funding sources, as they already have, are starting to dry up among the big donors, I could easily see Trump coming up with some some excuse. Rather than losing primary after primary, I could just see him saying, okay, well, I've got these criminal investigations to handle. I've got family. Maybe it's health, whatever. I think it's better than 50-50 that he doesn't make the primaries. And candidly, I think for people who want to see a Republican president elected in 2024, that would be a good step. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Well, this makes it all better. The World Health Organization has now renamed monkeypox. Right now, see, monkeypox, which was first identified in 1958. So monkeypox was monkeypox and has been monkeypox for, I don't know, the last 65 years. Why did they call it monkeypox? Well, research monkeys in Denmark were observed to have a pox-like disease. Okay, um, so that's, that, that's it. So this disease, what we call monkeypox, since they found it in monkeys in 1958, since 1958, it has been called monkeypox. Well, apparently in today's day and age... We are now at a point where, just like if you were listening to the program yesterday, I was telling you the story about the Phoenix Suns, the basketball. Their, their mascot is an ape, and it's been an ape since nineteen. Um, it's been an ape um, since nineteen eighty, and there, there's no. The significance is it was a guy who used to work for a singing telegram service, and they'd call him Gorilla Grams, and he showed up at a Phoenix Sun game dressed in his costume as an ape, and he started performing at the request of security. He'd perform on the stage. The fans loved it. The fans went ape, and, and he's been the, – that's the ape has been their mascot for the last 40-some years, and now you've got people saying, oh, we, we've got to get rid of this because somebody somewhere somehow might be offended. Well, the same thing is true of, of monkeypox. Some people are saying, well – 
you know, despite the fact that, you know, this is a disease that has a history back in 19, to go back to 58, and it's always been monkeypox, we have to, we have to change the name. So the World Health Organization citing concerns that the original name of the decades-old animal disease, monkeypox, because it was first discovered in monkeys, may be construed as discriminatory and racist. They have now renamed monkeypox as mpox. Mpox. So whenever you see mpox, that is really what we used to call monkeypox. Um, but yeah, I, I see, and I don't, I don't know where this goes. I mean, what about... What about chicken pox? I mean, can we now, I, I don't know, can we now, are chicken pox going to be sea pox? I, I just, I don't actually know. But I guess the one thing I do know is that by renaming monkey pox as M pox, because somebody somewhere, somehow might be offended, we have done absolutely nothing to improve the health of anybody anywhere in the world. All we've done is to make somebody somewhere maybe feel a little bit better about the issue. And and how that works out, I don't know. Okay, there was this interesting article that appeared in the Washington Post that I, I hadn't I hadn't thought of, but I, I wanted to I wanted to run it by you and get the reaction. The um one of the big changes over the course of my lifetime has been the way we communicate, and, and it, part of it is, of course, the, the Internet, but part of it is, is phones. I mean, when, when I was growing up, you had landlines, right? You know, you, you had a phone number at your house, and the phone would ring, and you'd answer the phone, hello, or your dad or your mom would answer the phone, and, Jeff, the call is for you, and then you would get on the phone. You'd have the, you'd have the, the landline, but that's, that's the way, this is before Al Gore invented the Internet, it's the way that people would, would communicate. And some people would talk on the phone for hours, and other people would not talk on the phone at all. It's like, okay, hi, yeah, you want to get together on Friday night? Sure, I'll meet you there, that's what we'll do. So people use the phone in different ways. But if you wanted to actually communicate and talk to people, you had to pick up the phone and you had to have a conversation. Well, you know, then phones started changing. It used that we moved from like the landline phones to the the bag phones that people would have, and you'd put them in your car and you'd plug them into the cigarette lighter. Back when cars had cigarette lighters, and you'd plug them in, and, and you could like speak mobily, and, and you had that. And then you had the the phones that you could carry, but they were big like bricks. Like if you've ever watched the movie Wall Street, there's the the Michael Douglas character. He's standing on the beach with his phone that's like the size of a brick, and he's talking about it. And that that was that that was the cool thing and now you have of course cellular phones but but the cellular phones aren't just phones i mean you can use them for the traditional phone thing but what do we use cellular phones for it's like walking around with a handheld computer and you can check your email and you can send messages and you can send texts and you can send emails and you can do all this sort of stuff well anyhow the, so the way we communicate has changed dramatically so here here's this piece in the washington post they call it, it's a phenomenon called live caller dread. Live caller dread. And the columnist writes, okay, this might sound silly to you, but for many people, impromptu calls have become rough, I'm quoting now, become roughly equivalent to turning up announced at someone's home and smushing your face against the window. 
Our comfort and patience with the person-to-person calls have eroded as text messaging has become the preferred way of communicating all but the gravest of news. The ringtone ring grows ominous. For whom does it toll? My mom will call me at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and my first assumption is, oh, my grandma died or something happened. There's always a moment of panic. So this is the, this latest thing. It The idea is that you get scared when, when the phone rings because the only time people call you is when it, it's bad news. And so when the phone rings, you're, you're, you're shocked. You go, oh my gosh, the, the, my, my phone is ringing and it, it's somebody. And I'm not talking about the, like the, the spam callers or, or the robocalls or stuff. I'm talking about you see that it's somebody you don't expect the call. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a relative. They've called you. And apparently there's more and more people that get freaked out because they automatically assume that this has to be like really bad news because otherwise – if they just wanted to communicate with you, they'd send you a text, or they'd send you an instant message, or they'd send you an email. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. I, I, I will tell you, when I read this story, my initial reaction was, this is one of the crazier things that, that I've heard recently. The fact that you would get freaked out when, when the phone would ring because you're automatically assuming that if one of your friends is calling you or one of your acquaintances or family members are calling you, that it has to be, you know, bad news and that it's actually rude to call people. You should just use texts. When I saw this, I thought, this is just absolutely crazy. And for people who get freaked out when they get a call from, again, one of their friends or their family members, they, they... you almost think that they like need professional help. So that was my initial reaction. Then I thought about this a day or so later, and you know what? I think my initial reaction was correct. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. All right, they, they call it live caller dread. You panic because you assume if your phone rings and somebody is calling you, it has to be bad news, and that calling somebody up is the equivalent of just showing up unannounced at their house and is rude. 855-616-1620, that's a WTMJ talk and text line. No, <laughs> I, I, I guess, I mean, I this idea that, you know, you can't talk to people on the phone and you have to be freaked out if the phone rings, are, are we really, Are is that really where we have gotten? Live caller dread, real or unreal, my producer does not suffer from that, so if you call in, he will be glad to answer your phone call. He will not be freaked out. Live caller dread. We discuss. 855-616-1620. Yeah, it's this new phenomenon that's called live caller dread. Apparently, there are people who freak out. If they get a live telephone call, in other words, they, they assume, and the argument is this is really, really rude. In 2022, how dare you call your brother? How dare you call your mom or your dad? You, you're supposed to just send texts to them because when that phone rings, people freak out because they automatically assume it's bad news. Really? I mean, I, 
my, my my wife, God bless her, she spends a huge chunk of her her time. Well, she's you know she'll have her earbuds in and she'll be talking to her various friends, whether they're in you know Florida or wherever. She she talks to her friends and keeps up with them. I, I don't think she dreads those calls. Now sometimes when I get the calls, occasionally I might think that they're a bit of a nuisance and things like that, but but in, in, I, do I freak out when somebody calls me and wants to talk? I don't think so. Jeff, I think calling is unheard of for most people below a certain age. However, I find that older people still prefer calling rather than texting or emailing. So, I mean, is, is this like newspapers? Is this a generational thing that just like nobody under the age of 60 reads newspapers anymore? Nobody, I don't know, under a certain age, you know, calls other people? Let's start with Sarah in Sturgeon Bay. Sarah, you're on WTMJ. Hello. How are you, Jeff? Love I, your show. Love thank you. you. Thank you very much. You know, I was <laughs> just telling you. I had a guy call me a moron. Trainer. I had a guy call me a moron here, for goodness sakes. Can you believe that? <laughs> I've been listening. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, and I, I, I told your call screener, I have gotten such a lesson with these commercials about how not to become your parent. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course, at my age... I am an old parent, but the thing about, I I hate texting, and my friends are all kind of in the same age group as I am. Mm -hmm. You can't possibly convey enthusiasm or compassion or happiness for anybody with a text. Right. If you can't speak to someone, why bother? I mean, you might as well just... Send right. them an email. Well, well right. And, and, just, and, yeah, unless it's just over that, unless it's to set up a meeting or something, I mean, unless it's like, hey, you know, what what time were we going? What, what time were we meeting for dinner Friday night or, or whatever? But, yeah, I, I agree. See, I tell you, Sarah, let me channel my wife. She's kind of like that, too. She says, look, I, I get all these texts. It takes me longer. You know, somebody will send you a text with three or four paragraphs. It takes me longer to try to formulate a response. I wish they just call and, and we can talk about, you know, we, we, we can share the news of the day and if i'm too busy or they're too busy they can say can you call your back yeah yes it's nice to hear their voices and 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 just relate in normal conversation so i i don't know call me old i don't care (laughs) thanks for the call sarah i'm not going to call you old for goodness sake and thanks for listening uh Jeff, my great-grandma would go calling to all her neighbors. That consisted of randomly showing up at the door and expecting to be entertained for an hour show or so. Better try not try that nonsense today. Well, right, I mean, I, I, would, I would never show up. Well, I won't say never, but I would rarely show up just unannounced at somebody's door. I mean, if I were like, let, let's say I want to, I want to see my buddy, and uh, we we talked about getting together. Before I show up, I would call and I'd say, "Hey, are you home? I'd like to stop by. You know, I'm 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 going to be in the neighborhood. I'll stop by in 15 minutes." So I would make that phone call or maybe a text. So I wouldn't just stop by unannounced and expect to be entertained. But I guess I don't see phone calls necessarily. I don't see them as being the same thing because, okay, if the phone rings and I'm busy, well, that's what God made voicemail for, you know, and I can just, I can always answer it in, in my time. Or if you're in the phone call, if you're in the middle of a phone call and something else is coming up or the dog's thrown up on the carpet or whatever, you go, oh, Sasha's throwing up on the carpet, got to go deal with this. Let's talk to David in Milwaukee. David, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Sure. Um, I'm kind of a, a yes and no on this. I mean, I definitely, I'm 30. I prefer getting a phone call, like you said. It's a lot easier just to talk. I mean, you can't really read a text or someone's emotions. But I did 
grew up in Florida where, I mean, you go to the old watering hole, you have a bunch of old timers, but they would always tell me stories like, oh, I just got a call and my friend died or, you know, that's yeah. a downer. And I've, I can't say I've lost a few friends myself, but I found it more common living in there talking to, you know, some old friends. So, I mean, I guess the debates of, I guess your past and night where you come from, obviously a phone call never hurts somebody, you know, you never know when your last one might be. So, I mean, that's, I yeah. Guess yeah. I mean, I guess, I mean, th- thanks for calling. I mean, what I, I, now there, there's a context in my producer, Charlie, you know, makes the point. He said, well, the only time I, th- that would ever bother me is if I, you know, if, for example, I got a phone call and for whatever reason I couldn't answer it, I'd let it go into voicemail. And then I immediately get a text following that up. Hey, can you call me right away? It's important. Okay. In that case, you know, you, maybe you're on the alert that, okay, this is all right, there, there's something going on. There's been there an accident. It's been their death. Is there no what you know whatever? But just the the routine fact that somebody's calling, I just, I just don't understand this idea that you're going to have this caller dread. That's what they that is what they call it. We have names for everything now. You know, it's caller dread syndrome because you know, heaven forbid that your friend or your brother or your sister or your kid or your parents decided to call you. Uh, Jeff, this is Jerry from Milwaukee. I swear we were becoming more nuts every day. We have, you know, a fear of answering the phone. Um, you know, uh, it's just, it is, it, it is a bizarre thing. I think there's a lot of people out there that would look forward to, for example, you know, getting the phone calls. Jeff, I use my text to help me keep track of details, you know, I, as a memory booster. Yeah, see, I understand all that. And that's, I'm not saying don't do texts, and there's lots of times that texts make more sense. And I I regularly communicate with at least a couple of my friends, and and again, I, this might sound funny for somebody who's for the last 28 years, you know, made a living full or part time talking to people on the telephone. But in my real life, I I mean, I don't hang on the phone. I'm not a look. We're going to have lengthy conversations on the telephone kind of a guy. I, I typically I use the phone and text to to set up in person meetings. Hey, let's go get a beer or whatever. I'll meet you at X place at 3:30 in the afternoon or whatever. That's how we and that's just how I use that. But when the phone rings and I see it's one of my buddies or whatever. I, I'm not freaked out. I, I don't have caller dread. There's all sorts of things that scare the heck out of me in this world, but that's not one of them. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Caller dread syndrome indeed. It's another classic clash, classic clash of the green and gold and those bears from Chicago this weekend. And the best place to be is live in person with Greg Matzik and Gary Ellerson as they host Green Bay Game Day pregame presented by Bud Light. Get ready for the game with the boys at Players in Madison leading all the way up until kickoff. The show starts at 9 a.m. Head to Players and get great drink specials including $3 pints of Bud Light. It's Green Bay Game Day pregame. Try saying that three times fast. Live from Players in Madison presented by Bud Light. How cool is that? Uh, right after the news, I, I want to talk about, well, there's a couple things I want to co- cover in the last half hour of the program, I- including, I don't know that it's a controversy, but some people think it is about a public investment we made in a private operation and new numbers out. The number of handgun owners carrying daily in the United States. It's large, it's growing, and it's interesting. We'll talk about all that in just a couple minutes.
there's a new study out in the American Journal of Public Health. So you, you and, and these are estimates, and you can take it for what it's worth. They they're they're looking at the number of people, not who own handguns in the United States, but the number of people who carry handguns on on a regular basis. And, and here's the, the, the most recent numbers they have are from 2019. So it's a couple years old. But here's what the study is. And the study just came out a couple days ago. In 2019, about 16 million U.S. handgun owners carried handguns in the past month. That's up from 9 million in 2015. So the, the, the study says, okay, so the number of people who in the past month have carried a handgun has, has gone up dramatically. But here's the real interesting thing. Approximately 6 million people said they carried handguns daily. And, and these are these are like loaded handguns. And, and they, they say they're carried the, – the people – this is – carried on their person. This is not having a loaded handgun in, in the car. This is, except when you're in the car with it, this is carried it on their person. And the, so 6 million, they say, carried a loaded handgun daily. Now, you compare that number to 2015, four years earlier, and the numbers are, they said, 3 million carried handguns daily in 2015. And then they said proportionally fewer handgun owners carried handguns in states where um, they're looking at, like, the concealed carry permits. And they say where it's tougher to get a concealed carry permit, not surprisingly, fewer people were, were carrying the loaded handguns. But the, the bottom line takeaway is that in this four-year period, 2015 to 2019, they've gone from 3 million people carrying legally loaded handguns to 6 million people, and they've gone from um, 9 million people carrying handguns over the past month, not necessarily daily, but over the past month, that's gone from 9 million in 2015 to about 16 million in 2019, which demonstrates to me pretty much of a, of a, an exponential growth in this. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. Here's what I'd like to talk with you about. What What is going on? Let's assume that those numbers are accurate. Now, you, whenever you see these kind of numbers and estimates, you can always say, well, I, I don't I don't think it's 6 million. Okay, so, so maybe it's 5 million. Maybe it's 7 million. I don't know that it's 16 million people who've carried a handgun on their person sometime within the last 30 days. Maybe it's 14 million. Maybe it's 18 million. You know, the, the actual numbers don't matter. What matters is I think it's it's apparent that what you're seeing is more and more people are making the decision to go out in public carrying firearms, whether, you know, and again, we're talking about the legal carrying of firearms. We're not talking about the, the bad guys, you know, carrying those guns. We're talking about people who get the permits or they live in states where you have the, the open carry laws, so they're allowed to do it. But more and more people are doing this. I have a why question, 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. More people are buying handguns. More people are arming themselves, and more people are carrying those handguns. Why is this going on, and is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? 
Our number, 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. I've got a couple theories on this, and whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, I, I think it is definitely the wave of the future, and it might be a wake-up call for some of our authorities. But why is this going on, and is it a good thing or a bad thing? Let's discuss. 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. Back to talk with you in just a moment. which is the WTMJ talk and text line for those people interested in the USA and the World Cup. uh, With about 10 minutes or so left in regulation, the USA continues to lead Iran. Somebody called up and corrected. Didn't you hear what they said? They're supposed to, the pronunciation was like Iran or something. It's like, I call it Iran. And if you don't like it, well. Okay, get in line. But uh, the U.S. continues to lead Iran by one goal to nil, as they say, with about 10 minutes left in regulation. Again, the USA, to advance, has to win the game. A a tie does not help them, and so what they got to do is figure out how to stop Iran from scoring in the course of the next 10 minutes, and in which case they move to the knockout round. So there's about 10 minutes left in that game. In the other game going on in their group, England is walloping Wales. England will definitely advance right now. Uh, England is ahead three to nothing. Okay, we're um, we're discussing right now that these these new numbers that are out, and and again you can you can argue about. You know, are, are the number how accurate are the numbers? But I think it's very clear that the numbers are, really do indicate a trend. The number of Americans in the four years between 20 and 15 and 2019 who carry on a daily basis carry a loaded firearm on their person, either in a state where they have open carry or you know through concealed carry permits, has doubled three million to six million. And the number of people who admit to carrying a loaded firearm. Um, at least sometime in the past 30 days, has gone from 9 million to 16 million. So what exactly is going on? Jeff, I think carrying a handgun for some people has become a political statement rather than a security interest. Um, Jeff, carry was purported to interrupt crime. That doesn't appear to be occurring. I think people, um, one reason people carry their firearms is to boast about their right to do it. I'm not sure about that. Jeff, it's going on because sky-high crime rate has spread to once relatively crime-free areas, also because criminals have become more violent, especially young ones. The overwhelmed police departments also play a role in people feeling less safe. In the grand scheme of things, I think it's a bad thing. This is where we as a society have landed. But given the state of things, being armed is just smart. Well, I actually think, I think that that, that texter is is on to something. See, here's, I think here's the deal. What's going on? And you see this partly as what we'll describe as you know part of the the ongoing breakdown of of society. What's happened as crime rates have soared, especially violent crime rates have soared, and 
the randomness of crime. And that's, I think, one of the things, that that's the scary thing. It's not just, hey, we're, we're going to have in the next day or so, we're going to hit 200 homicides in the city of Milwaukee, something that's absolutely unthinkable. But it's the fact that you, you just, you never know where these are going to occur. It's not like, hey, this is some shooting outside of a dive bar at two o'clock in the morning. It's Oh, you know, we're, we've got people sitting in a McDonald's restaurant, you know, on Hampton Avenue or wherever at 2.30 in the afternoon and a gun battle breaks out. I think it is the random, randomness of crime that is inspiring, I mean, some people to say, look, I, I want to be in a position to protect myself. And part of my concern is that, that society is not doing it. You have police which are just absolutely overwhelmed. And that's, like I say, last night I, I had a chance to run into, we didn't have a time for a long conversation, but Milwaukee Police Chief Jeff Norman, who I think is is, is doing a, a very good job. But the problem is, from the perspective of the police, you're faced with almost an insurmountable problem. You've got crime that is hitting record numbers. You've got random and violent crime that is hitting record numbers. You've got the police, which in some circumstances, in some circles, are viewed as as an occupying force. You've got the whole no-snitching culture, which makes it difficult for police to get people to cooperate. And you have a whole series of what I will call lesser crimes, which almost go by the wayside simply because the cops are investigating the more serious crimes. And I mean, I, I get it. I mean, but, but try call and reporting, you know, your car is stolen. Well, in, you know, in a different time, that might be a big deal. You come back, your car is stolen. You're going to have, you know, a huge police response. Now it's, it's not that they don't respond, but unless it's a carjacking or something, they don't have the people to, to deal with this like you might expect it to be dealt with, dealt with. Jeff, people carry firearms in public to try to intimidate people. Well, I, I see, I, I understand. The New York Times, by the way, had a big piece about that, that, it's, that the reason people carry these guns is they want to intimidate people. That that might apply to open carry, but I don't think it's a question of intimidating people. I think in some cases it might be we're trying to discourage people from messing with us, but that doesn't explain the number of people who carry firearms in a concealed fashion legally. They're carrying those guns because they want to protect themselves in the event that they're a victim. Jeff, I asked my husband why he bought a handgun and a rifle in the last two years. He said the world is less safe. Um, When seconds matter, the police are minutes away. And that's from one of our texters who lives in in one of the suburbs. It's not like she's living in a, a high crime area. Jeff, I have a concealed carry permit, and I don't carry it as a badge of honor. For me, I would rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it. These are the times that we live in. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Jeff, every time politicians threaten to take away gun rights, it leads to an increase in purchases. Buy it while you can. Given that that isn't going to happen, how can they justify their actions? It is a, that, that is always one of the things. As a matter of fact, there's some stories out there with this lame duck Congress. The lame duck Congress is, of course, you have a number of people who have retired from Congress or people who have lost their reelection bids. So the Republicans are going to take over the Congress in, in January. And one of the things that Joe Biden was hoping to do 
before the new Congress comes in and the Republicans control the House of Representatives, one of the things that Biden was talking about was trying to get some quote unquote gun measure, gun control measures thrown through. Um, doesn't appear that that's going to happen because he doesn't appear that he has that the support to end up doing it. But that is one of the interesting side effects of whenever we start talking about gun control legislation, what happens is that inspires a number of people to go out and um, purchase, you know, the, the gun because, you know, they're afraid that they might not be able to do this. Jeff, speaking from the perspective of a person who carries a firearm daily, I believe you've seen a dramatic change because there is a new threat to our communities that has become more and more prevalent. That is, to me, the active shooter situations. Yep, there had been mass murders before 2015, but I feel they have been way more prevalent in recent years. Um, I believe that part of the shift in people carrying has reached out to students in areas that aren't necessarily known for high crime. People carry for this exact threat. You see all these active shooters reports in small towns and areas not known for being high crime or violent. The shift isn't happening in neighborhoods that have long um, history of crime and violence. The shift is happening in the suburbs. And I think that that's, that is an element, too. To me, though, it, it all kind of comes back to a concern that civilian authorities aren't able to keep up with the, the degree of crime that's out there. And, and I just there, there's just no way to put lipstick on that pig. I think that that's true. And I think that that's got to be one of the challenges for for politicians. You know, last you know, last night we I was having dinner after the show with with some friends and we got to talking about this. And you know, one of the frustrations is whenever let, let's just take Milwaukee, but Milwaukee's not unique. When whenever there, there's one of the the shooting incidents, you know, you have the alderman from the area and and the mayor. And I I I I'd like the mayor. I think he's well intentioned. I think you know he's at least got some energy, unlike Tom Barrett, I think, who just completely burned out on the job. But but it's always the same. It's all we have to do more. We have to do this. We have to do this. But then nobody does any sort of follow up, follow through. Remember, there was after there was that shooting in the Water Street area in the beginning of the summer. Oh, we're going to start aggressively enforcing this curfew. And when when we checked. There was like nine or ten curfew violation citations that were issued in the first six months. I mean, so what we're getting is all this sort of lip service, and I think that there's a lot of people who are just losing losing faith in the system's ability to protect themselves, and that's got to be one of the challenges. Now, for me, I mean, my, my answers are clear. More cops on the street, flood the high-crime areas. Get the bad guys off the street, pressure the DAs and pressure the judges to take that percentage of people who are criminals and get them off the street and, you know, enforce broken windows. Recognize that little stuff does lead to big stuff and you can't tolerate little stuff. I think if if people are alarmed at the fact that more people are carrying guns for self-protection and stuff, and if you want to see those numbers go down, well, just don't make people make people feel comfortable that they're not going to need the guns. You know, and if they don't think that they're going to need the guns, my guess is they're going to start leaving them at home. But until you can restore faith that the police and civilian authorities are going to be able to deal with the rash of crime that's out there, people are going to still continue to say, "Okay, well, I got to protect myself. And that's why I think these numbers are going to go up before they go down. 